tonight we, we remember the events that happened on that one day in history that forever altered the course of humanity. And I'm just grateful that you chose to take time out of your Friday to be with us tonight. If you are just visiting with us or uh, maybe someone dragged you to church and you've never been here before, my name is Ryan and I'm uh, the senior pastor here at Calvary. And just super grateful that you um, are here tonight. You know, we call this Holy Week. And so much unfolded throughout Holy Week. At the beginning of the week, there was buzz in the air 2,000 years ago. There was excitement all around. Hope was alive. And last Sunday, we call Palm Sunday. And that is, just signifies Jesus as he made his entry into Jerusalem. Jesus' popularity on that day was at an all-time high. And as he made his way into Jerusalem, it's known as the triumphal entry. Jesus riding in humility on the back of a young donkey. The crowds that day came out in masses. Excitement and joy filled the air. They, they threw, all of the crowds threw their coats on the ground and they, they broke off palm branches and they waved the palm branches shouting, Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save now. People came out of everywhere, just family, friends, relatives, neighbors, just anyone and everyone, all coming out of the woodworks to see and to worship Jesus. Incredible, beautiful sight. Again, Luke's gospel tells us, Hosanna, they shouted. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. For a few hours, things, things seemed to be going well. Jesus seemed to have the people right in the palms of his hands. If he would have allowed it, they would have crowned him king right then and right there on the spot. That was Sunday. And on Monday of that week, we know that Jesus cleansed the temple. He made a cord of, out of whip, uh, and a whip, and, and in righteous indignation, he overturned the tables of the money changers. He chased, chased out the marketeers who were exploiting the people for their own gain. Matthew 21 says, it is written, my house, this is Jesus, shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. But throughout the week, the hostilities, they started to increase towards Jesus. As the week unfolded at the uh, instigation of the religious leaders, attitudes of the people started to change concerning Jesus. Many of the common people who were worshiping Jesus just a day or two before began to see that Jesus wasn't planning to carry out their plans in overthrowing the Romans. And one by one, they started to slowly drift away. And one must ask, was their worship truly Christ-centered or was their worship a matter of convenience or selfish, out of selfish motives that day? Why were they worshiping? When they said, Hosanna, save now, was it a part of their own agenda or was it truly God-centered? On Tuesday, that was Monday, on Tuesday, he returned to the temple courts where he continued to teach the people. He was also surrounded by enemies asking crafty questions, trying to catch him in his own words to no avail. On Wednesday, 
We're told that Jesus was in Bethany with his friends that night. He had dinner at the home of Simon, who was a one-time leper. And while he was there, a woman who was saved from much, and he, she loved much, we're told, took a jar filled with costly oil, a, a fragrance that was worth a year's wage, and proceeded to pour it over his head and his feet. And Jesus, there he took note of her sacrifice, her, her love and devotion. We still remember it to this day. And it was there that Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus, knew what he was going to do. That this was not the kind of kingdom that he was interested in. And for his own gain, he would conspire to betray Jesus to his enemies. On Thursday, it was the preparation for the Passover dinner, the 12 gathered in the upper room and Jesus taught them their important lessons on service to prepare them for, for a, the ministry that would lie ahead. And Jesus there would wash the disciples' feet. And during his time with them, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he told them of the coming of the Holy Spirit, that he would not just be with them, but in them. And they ate together that night, and he announced to them his betrayal by one of their own. And then he announced to them on that very night that they would all fall away from him. And self-assured Peter, one of Jesus' outspoken disciples, assured Jesus, Oh, Jesus, I will never allow that to happen. Even though all may fall away, Peter says to Jesus, I will never fall away. And Jesus just calmly tells Peter, then he said to, to Peter, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you even know me. And it was at dinner that one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, departed from the table to finish his act of betrayal. And we're told that after they sang a hymn together, they left the room. They walked across the Kidron into a small olive orchard called the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was there that Jesus agonized, knowing what was ahead of him. The hour had come, and in prayer, he submits himself to the will of God as the disciples drifted asleep. It was there in that lonely garden that Judas came to Jesus, accompanied with a host of men. We're told 600 Roman soldiers and temple guards, along with many religious leaders of the day, they all came out to betray Jesus and arrest Jesus. And there most of the disciples fled out of fear. Peter followed at a distance and through a, a series of events denied Jesus three times that he even knew him. And during the next few dark hours when Jesus was brought before the religious leaders, he was spat upon, he was mocked, he was beaten. And with false charges and false witnesses, they delivered Jesus over to the Gentiles demanding judgment. And in the early hours of Friday morning, they brought Jesus before Pontius Pilate, who, after examining him, declared to everyone, I find no fault with him. However, for political purposes, I know we know nothing about that, political purposes, at the instigation of the religious leaders and their influence over the crowds who had just blessed Jesus in the first part of the week, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now they're saying, 
crucify him, crucify him. And at the cry and the demand of the Jews and after the approval of Rome, Jesus was finally taken to the place of the skull to be crucified. I'm gonna read to you Matthew's account. It says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross, and when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots, and then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who were passed uh, by deride him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and and we will believe him. He trusts God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. It was at this point that darkness covered the earth. Darkness covered the earth. Verse 50 says, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He said, it is finished. On that Friday, hope seemed lost. It seemed over. Darkness had seemed to cover the light that Jesus brought into the world. Sin on that Friday seemed to have won. Death seemed to have victory. The question is, where were the crowds? Just a few days earlier, they were so enthused to publicly worship Jesus. And now, where are they? They've all left. 
Where are the disciples? Just a few hours, they, they all rejected the thought of betraying Jesus. Jesus was their master. He was their, their rabbi, their teacher. And the thought of them denying him, never, never. But they're all gone, minus John. John was there at the cross. The question, though, that we ask is, what was God doing what was God doing? Did Jesus really come to earth to be born as a man, to do incredible miracles, gain a lot of followers, say a lot of wonderful things just for it to end in death and loneliness? Or was his death accomplishing something more? I was listening to a devotional app this week and the Lord really ministered something to me through it and I'm, I'm going to kind of borrow a part of it uh, for you tonight. When I'm reading through that portion of scripture and really all of the gospel accounts of the cruci crucifixion, I'm struck and I was struck this week by the word with in that passage. I'm going to read to you verse 38 again and I think it will be on the screen. It says, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. You think about that word with. If there was ever a word to sum up the life of Jesus, that has to be it. I was reminded in that, that devotional app that Jesus, when he first came into the world, what was he known as? He was known to be called Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. God with us. God born with us, walked with us, talked with us, lived with us, suffered and suffers with us. And in this phrase, we find the greatest scandal and yet the greatest comfort of Jesus. Only Christianity gives us a God who is with us. Only Christianity gives us a God with scars who is willing to suffer with us and for us. Are you grateful for that? You know, it's interesting to me that the, the crowd of so-called Jesus followers, they're gone. When, when worshiping Jesus was no longer convenient for them, they changed their tune in one second. When Jesus wasn't going to accomplish their plans, their vision for the world, their dreams, whatever you want to call it, they were out of there. But not just the crowds. I want you to see this. Jesus' 12 closest friends and followers, where are they? Where are they? Political pressures and, and tensions from religious leaders, they're all running away in fear. They're all running away in fear, and Jesus is left alone with two criminals on each of his sides. You know, in the gospel accounts of the crucifixion, we're told that the two men next to Jesus were criminals or robbers or, or thieves. But sometimes when you think about, oh, a robber, in our context, we have to step out of kind of our, our day and age, kind of, oh, there was a robbery at the local 7-Eleven, Right? Like, you know, they just stole a donut or something or a pack of gum, right? Like, you're like, oh, not that big of a deal. He'll serve a day in jail and, you know, just do some community service, right? No, no, no. These were evil working men. That's the literal translation of the word for criminal here. These were men who spent their mental energy, their emotional energy, their physical energy trying to figure out ways to do evil in their life. These were bad dudes. These were rebels. We know that because Barabbas should have been one of those guys. 
right? He was a rebel. But it's there at the cross of Calvary hangs Jesus Christ with two of the worst people in the community, maybe even the world at that point. And I love that we see here that Jesus died like he lived. He was known to be a friend of sinners. And he's being crucified next to two thieves. At the beginning of the crucifixion process, as Jesus hung there, the two criminals next to him were told that both of the criminals were there mocking him. Not just one of them. Mark's gospel says those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Both of them hurling insults at Jesus, sneering at him, both saying words of opposition to him. But somewhere along the lines, as the minutes ticked on, one of them had second thoughts. And what we have here in these verses is an amazing conversion. What we would call a salvation story. And one of them cried out to Jesus and said, Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus made him this incredible promise. I love it. It says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Did you know that there's no more explicit assurance in the Bible from the lips of Jesus himself to any individual of the forgiveness of their sins and the assurance of heaven as that? Today, he says, you will be with me in paradise. Now, how can he say that to this criminal, right? This is an evil working person. Was this thief baptized? No, right? Was this, did this thief join a home group first? No. Was this, able, was this thief able to like give money to the church and serve the church? No, he probably stole from the church, right? No, he was about to die, but Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, church, this is incredible and scandalous all at the same time. You see, the Bible tells us that for each and every one of us, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. That's what it deserves. The thief on the cross knew that very well. You know how I know that? It's because he's hanging there, right? When you're at the end of your life, it causes you to think a little bit. It causes you to pause for a second and to think, how did I live my life, you know? Did I make any poor choices? How did I get here today, right? What have I done? And like us, this thief was a sinful, sinful man. The choices that he made in his life put him on that cross, this was not an accident. This was, this was not just a happenstance that he was on the cross next to Jesus. This was justice. This was deserved. His sins, like ours, are a capital offense toward a holy God. And our, our sins deserve the death penalty. Death, in a spiritual sense, means eternal separation from God in unending torment. And that's what this thief on the cross was facing. But when Jesus tells this guy on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, Jesus knew that by shedding his own blood on the cross, he would take the punishment that we deserved and in place offering his perfect record of righteousness, not only for the thief, but for the whole entire world. The Bible says in John 3 that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
When we trust Christ for our salvation, we are um, essentially making a nice trade. (laughs) An uneven trade, but a nice trade. By faith, we trade our sin, our shame, our guilty record accompanying the death penalty, right, for his perfection, his righteousness, his life, his perfect record. And that's what this thief did. In theological terms, this thief, yes, he's a theologian. Why? Because he understood something about God. And this is called substitutional atonement. Christ died on the cross for your substitute, as your substitute, for my, as my substitute. Without him, we would be there suffering the death penalty, the wrath of God because of our sins, but because of Jesus. The good news of Good Friday is that we don't have to suffer anymore because Christ did. Second Corinthians, amen. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. That's amazing news. 1 Peter 2 says, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you're healed. Hebrews 9.22 says, And according to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. For God to forgive our sins, his judgment had to be satisfied, and that required, the Bible tells us, the shedding of blood. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus, knowing our greatest need in that moment, Surprise to the disciples, surprise to the Palm Sunday crowd, it wasn't a political movement. The greatest need of the people was not to overthrow the Roman Empire. Our greatest need tonight is not to overthrow woke ideology, okay? Our, great, our greatest need tonight is not to overthrow the Republican or Democratic Party. No, our greatest enemy was sin and death, and Jesus came to give his life to free us from it. Amen. And so tonight, we pause, we meditate, we reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, and knowing, church, that Jesus did not run from the task. Jesus did not avoid the pain. As we've been saying on Sundays, Jesus didn't see our mess, become frustrated with us, right? Disgusted by us, no, no, no. But rather, Jesus entered into our mess with us and for us. He willingly went to the cross for me and for you. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. And so that we might be saved. D.A. Carson said, it was not nails that held Jesus to the wretched cross. It was his unqualified resolution out of love for his father to do his father's will. And it was his love for sinners like me, for sinners like you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, people have often asked, who put Jesus on the cross that night 2,000 years ago? 
And you might think tonight, well, well, you know, I put Jesus on the cross, or, or we all put Jesus on the cross. You know, it was our sins that put Jesus on the cross. Listen, in fact, the reality is tonight, it was God who put Jesus on the cross. And it was God who did it for us, knowing our need for a Savior. And so tonight, as we continue to worship, and we, may we meditate. And this is the, the whole theme tonight is for us to pause and think upon the great love that God has for us. Because after the crowds were gone, after our family leaves, in a place where it's just Jesus and sinful us, Jesus willingly went to the cross to be, the Bible says, the propitiation for our sins. And because of his sacrifice for us, we have the, the forgiveness of sins and we get eternal life. We remember and we celebrate and we reflect that in our greatest time of need, it was God who came near. We didn't draw near to God, he drew near to us. He didn't run from us, he didn't hide from us, he pursued us. We didn't earn it. We were dead, the Bible says, in our transgressions and sins, but Jesus made us alive. This was a gift of grace. It was unearned, God's unmerited favor. And because of this great exchange, we have this wonderful assurance of salvation like the thief on the cross had. It might not be today that we'll be with him, but we have the hope of eternal life that one day we will be with him in paradise. Let's bow our hearts and let's bow our heads. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. We thank you for your love that sent you to the cross for us. And tonight, I pray, Jesus, that we would just pause and reflect upon the weight of our sin, but the, just the amount of your love for us. That apart from the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, but Lord, you shed your blood for us. Your body was broken for us. And you said to do this as often as you would in remembrance of me. So as we, as tonight, God, as we take the bread and we take the cup, just even on our own time, reflect, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We celebrate the Lord's death until he comes. Before we pass out the bread and the cup, I just want you to think tonight for me, with me just for a second. You think about the two opportunities that these two criminals had dying next to Jesus, right? Jesus is with them on their deathbed. What an opportunity. Two men equally close to Jesus. Jesus is right there in the middle. One gets saved, the other doesn't. One goes to heaven that night, one goes to hell. Now most of us here, I would say tonight, that we're most likely believers and we've come to celebrate Good Friday, right? When we're about to take communion, they're gonna pass it out to us and, and you're gonna take it on your own. I'm not gonna walk us through this tonight. It's between you and Jesus. But maybe you're here tonight and you've been invited by some friends or family. 
Maybe you've been invited by a coworker, and you, or maybe you've, you haven't come here in a long time. Maybe you used to come here years ago, but you've never committed and given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've acknowledged at some point, you know, good things about God. You know, Jesus lived. Jesus was a good human, right? Jesus did a lot of good things, but you've never turned to him personally. You've acknowledged that, yeah, Jesus lived, Jesus taught, Jesus did miracles, Jesus did some cool things, Jesus changed a lot of people's lives, but you've personally never said, Lord, here I am. Lord, remember me. Lord, save me. Let me just say this with every head bowed right now. If you've never committed your life to Jesus and you want to respond to the great love that he has for you. You're ready to repent of your sin. That is just turn from your sin, give your life to the lover of your soul. I wanna ask you right now to trust in Jesus Christ. It's just you and Jesus right now. And if it was only you, let me just say this, because the crowds are gone, your family's gone, all of those people are gone, right? It's just you and Jesus. It's Jesus and the thief on the cross. And tonight, you and I, were the thief on the cross. And if it was only for you, Jesus would have went to the cross for you. And tonight, if you have never committed your life to Jesus, you've never experienced the love of God and the forgiveness of your sins, if you want to do that tonight, you want to, you want to know what the assurance of heaven, the assurance of eternal life is like, and, and you want to experience shame being off your shoulders, guilt from your past being off your shoulders, I'm going to ask you right now just to raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus tonight. I want to give my life to Jesus. I recognize his love. I just want to encourage you, raise your hand and raise it up high. That Jesus loves you, and he loved you all the way to the cross. And again, if it was just for, if it was only you, he would have done it. One more second. If that's you tonight and you want to give your life to Jesus, I encourage you to raise your hand. Receive his love. Amen. God sees you. See you tonight. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for your love, your grace, the forgiveness of sins, the newness of life that you give to us tonight as we take the bread and we take the cup, Lord, we just reflect with hearts full of gratitude of all that you've done for us. We worship you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. As we worship tonight, the ushers are going to pass out. We might have to help hold the trays. And there's two cups. Grab both of them and um, just eat and drink on your own as we worship the Lord.